0: To another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a wiki podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert. And as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Things are good, man. All good here. How about you? You've been playing much football? Well, it's the uh, last game of my five side league tomorrow, Wednesday. So the listeners will be listening to this while I'm probably getting battered 15 0 by some London City boys. You're in a relegation scrap? No, no, no. We were relegated about 10 games ago. Oh, okay, okay, it's not it's not a scrap. It really hey, the pressure's a...
1: off. The pressure's off. You can express pressure's yourself. Off. <laughs>
0: We're playing with freedom. Yeah, we uh, we lost twenty-two nil two weeks ago. So uh, you know, pressure, well and truly off. <laughs> Tell you what, we could do with Barney. We could uh, we could do some new signings. Um, as it is the January transfer window, hey. uh, which brings me very nicely. Thank you very much. Uh, on to our first topic of conversation. We want to say thank you to everybody who listened to last week. Uh, last week was a big show for us. We did a lot on the January transfer window. So thank you to everybody who sat through that. We're not going to do quite as much this week. We're just going to touch on a couple of the big departures that happened this week. Still yet to see any uh, significant incoming. So we'll hope to uh, cover those in the next couple of weeks as and when they happen. Um, of course, the main transfer we got to talk about, Barney, the biggest news was uh, Chiquinho, who joined Wolverhampton Wanderers, from Estoril Price, reported 3.5 million euros. Uh, That includes bonuses that could see it rise up to 5 million euros, depending on performance, etc. Worth noting, of course, that sporting retained 25% of the players' economic rights and will therefore receive 25% of that transfer fee. I think we're in agreement, Barney, that this is a good move for for the player, definitely. Um, On the one hand, you know, we always have that selfish side to us that Uh, wants to see these players stay in Portugal for as long as possible so that we can watch them develop but you know equally I agree with the likes of uh, Alex Gossalves from Tuga Scout who's been saying for a long time now that it's about time clubs in Europe started shopping directly from smaller clubs when it comes to players like Chiquinho rather than waiting for them to make that move to a big free club uh, where they'll end up spending five ten times as much possibly uh, on the transfer free than if they just shot directly from the source, and it's good for Estoril. It's good for the player, and um, I've got a good feeling about this one. I think it could be good for Wolves too.
1: So do I. I think the fact that um, the transfers happened now and he hasn't been um, loaned back to Estoril for the rest of the season sort of shows that he's he's gonna he's gonna play for Wolves. I'm really excited for him. You're exactly right there when you were saying like you know it's it's I think it's been a mystery to us as well that why. Why clubs don't take a gamble on, on these players, and yeah, and I, I think of a player like Chiquino, You know, he's very, very skillful young talent. And um, you know, he's um, excellent on the ball, wins a lot of fouls, um, which can be handy. I think he's got all the all the attributes that you want from a winger. So I, I think it's a, it's an excellent move, and I'm so so happy for him. The only other thing is that I feel like we've seen, you know, not not only in this transfer but other transfers recently from the clubs outside of the big three when it's a player departing. It's just always in the in, in the article at some point just. Oh, but, but Porter and 50% of the economic oh, oh, Ben yes. <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's so common, isn't it? You know, these big free clubs sort of hoover up these players at youth level. Uh, and then when they're not deemed good enough, are sent out to smaller clubs. But, you know, keeping that all-important percentage. And 25% of 3.5 million euros is a drop in the ocean for, for sporting. But I still think the fee itself, 3.5 million rising up to 5 mil, uh, is obviously a really important financial boost for the club of Estrella's size. And we've seen the fantastic work that they've done with their youth team. They won the Liga revelacao La um, They've really got a great ambitious project going there. So uh, an injection of cash like that, which could hopefully see them continue that project for another few years, is, is great to see.
1: And, you know, they lost key players in the summer, you know, Miguel Crespo went to Turkey, of course, and, and they've still succeeded. So, yeah, I don't think this is going to, you know, obviously, he's a great player for them, but I think that they're, they're certainly capable of uh, bringing someone else through and, and and keeping delivering good performances that we've seen from them. Well, another departure
0: that we saw happen this uh, this week, Barney, was of course. Uh, Jesus Corona who left Porto to go to Sevilla and similar to the Sergio Oliveira deal that we saw last week. I feel like this is a, a deal that probably should have been done in the summer as uh, Corona leaves Porto for a nominal fee really of 3 million euros with his con- with his contract up at the end of the season. I was thinking about this deal, Barney, about what I was going to say, because it, on paper it would probably be right to have a bit of a moan about this deal, you know, to talk about how it's been badly transferred and, and why is a player... Of of his ability been allowed to run down his contract and depreciating value so much. But my honest feeling is that I just feel like that ship has sailed. Like there's no point even moaning about it at this point. I don't I don't think there's really any negative feeling towards the player from Porto fans. Um, I think he did his time there, you know, he contributed. It was remarkable, you know, when the deal was announced to watch all the videos that were then being shared of of his best moments at Porto and just to remind yourself that there was a time when. This guy was far and away the best player in the Portuguese league, you know, in a similar way that Luis Diaz is this season. It's easy to forget how good he was because of the form he's kind of uh, he's had over the last season and a half or so. So it's, it's it's a strange one. I think it's it's definitely right for him to move on. His time, at Porto was never going to end any other way. Slight reservations about how the deal
1: was handled, but at the end of the day, you know, what can he do? Yeah, I think he's been an excellent player for Porto. Um, I think it's, it's a great move for him as well. I think Sevier's a, a good fit for him. I think he'll he'll certainly play there. The only thing I've got to say on that, Albert, is that, you know, this isn't the first time that Porto have had a player leave or, or even on the cheap, or on the free AC yeah. Rega last season. Um, looking back, back a bit further, Herrera, when he went to Atletico Madrid, Bra- Brahimi as well. We've seen Benfica be so good in the transfer market in terms of selling players, although I think that ship's potentially sailed. I think we're mm. about to see Sporting take the crown of being the kings of the transfer market in Portugal with some of the players they're about to cash in on. And, you know, Porto, when you see those names and you think of the the cash they could have got from Perhaps they have missed an opportunity there. I, you know, Diaz is going to leave. They'll get money there. And, and and there's obviously players that have come through. But, you know, it sort of highlights an issue, I think, that's at Porto that they need to sort out in terms of... Um, get key players, getting making sure they earn money from them. Because, you know, there's not a, a squad full of people who are going to make the money. There's old players there. There's players they've signed with in the league who also are of, of an age where they're perhaps not going to move on. You know, Toremi is a prime example. Um, an excellent player, but he's not, not going to be moving for millions. So, yeah, that, that's the only thing I'd say on this. But, yeah, a, a great player in this league. Um, I love watching him last season. And, um, yeah, good luck to him.
0: Yeah, I think it sounds like Porto in the midst of sort of changing their transfer strategy at the moment. They've got a lot of players that they're pushing through from the youth academy now I'm sure become valuable assets uh, in the not-too-distant future. Well, one other thing that we spoke about a lot last week, Barney, was, of course, the test de Portugal, which took place during the week. That conversation we had on the last week's show was all about Lesser versus Sporting. We were wondering whether there was going to be a massive upset on the cards, but the of de Portugal team were brushed aside 4-0 by Sporting, despite a valiant effort uh, and a fantastic achievement, of course, to make it as far as they did. There was an upset of sorts in the quarterfinals, though. Definitely not to be overlooked as Segunda liga side Mafra beat Portemans 4-2 to reach the semi-final for the first time in their history. It was also the first time they'd ever made the quarterfinals. So this whole campaign has been um, fantastic for them and really worthy of a lot of praise.
1: Yeah, we've got to be rooting for them to get to the final now. They've got Tondea next and it's uh, Porto uh, sporting in the other half to the draw. So, yeah, uh, Mafra in the final against one of those two will be lucky stuff.
0: Yeah, as you say, the next round we'll see Sporting take on Porto in one semi-final, and Mafra play Tondela in the other. Tondela, an interesting one, Barney, because they've now got a chance to play in a cup final, which I think is particularly impressive seeing as they've not exactly had a remarkable season in the Primera Liga. We're going to talk about one of their games uh, coming up and for a team
1: like Tondela to have a chance to play in the final it's come a bit out of nowhere but they will be absolutely delighted with that. Yeah I'm looking forward to seeing that semi-final. I think that could be a it looks like it could be a tough tie, but they'll have the confidence won't they to hopefully get themselves into that final. So yeah a great achievement for them
0: as well. Definitely one to look out for those two legs will take place with the first leg. Uh, at the beginning of March and the second leg in April. Well, look, let's get on and talk about some of the Premier League action from this week, Barney. As always, some fantastic results, a little bit of drama here and there, uh, some great scorelines. Uh, and I think we have to start with uh, one of the best performances of the week, I thought personally, which was Porto beating B-SAD 4-1. It was the second time in two league games that Porto had to come from behind against a team lower down in the table than themselves. Last week, of course, they came from 2-0 down to beat Estoril 3-2. And this week saw another comeback, albeit a lot less tense than the previous. They let in a surprise opening goal against b but turned it around to win comfortably 4-1 thanks to hat-trick from Evan Nilsson. Uh, and a goal from Toremi. Let's start with a hat-trick here, Obani. Let's talk Evan Nilsson, because there's so many players having good seasons for Porto. There's so many individuals that we've picked out at different parts of this season. Uh, Evan Nilsson is now just another one to add to that long list. The progress that he's made since last season, where he spent a lot of time with the B team, you know, and he really looks like fourth-choice striker, despite coming in for a big price tag he found himself behind Toremi, Morega and Tony Martinez now he's absolutely overtaken Martinez in the pecking order uh, and his form is almost demanding a starting spot from Conceição uh, at the moment
1: Oh, obviously we've got to give a lot of credit to the player for working his way back into this team He, had, when he arrived at Porto he was up, came with a, a big price tag uh, for, for this league and uh, had a just a very quiet first season didn't he really and the way last season finished with um Tony Martins looking like the, the in-form striker, I was thinking it would be very hard for him to get in this team, but he has. And um, whether that's conscious out seeing his potential and, and going with that, obviously he's a lot younger than Tony Martins at 22 years old, or, you know, the player himself. I think it's, it's continued into this season as well. He, he didn't hit the ground running. He's really worked on his game, I think. You know, that partnership Tremi's been building quite nicely. The thing that stood out for me in this game was his his finishing. You know, I think it was two lovely finishes with his... His weak for left foot and it was, um, yeah, it's really, really high quality finishes as well. It was an outstanding hat-trick, I thought, and he looked hungry for goals all game.
0: Uh, And as you say, he was playing full of confidence, which is something we haven't seen since he came to Porto. He's really starting to grow on me, Barney. I really like him a lot. As you say, two really good finishes, a good hailer. Uh, I'm a sucker for a striker that's both physical and technical, mm. so you know, I'm really getting those vibes of Evan Nilsson, and he's really starting to grow on me. And I
1: think the other factor as well, is obviously Kondrashov does like to play with two strikers. I think a couple of weeks ago when they went with just Toremi and Fabio Vieira behind him, I thought that was like a really exciting combination and something that Kondrashov might have explored a bit more. He mm. hasn't. He's, he's trusted Evan Nilsson, um, and I, I think he's right to do so. I think, and so the fact that um, you know Fabio Vieira. And him were in this in the starting level and, and linking up so well. It was a uh, yeah. It was it was it was a really really good performance. I mean, we can't
0: talk about that hat trick of goals without talking about the accompanying hat trick of assists that that came from Fabio Vieira. Um, he was the player that we were so complimentary of when uh, he he came in against Benfica and did so well. Um, I think Evan Nilsson took the man of the match award for, because of his goals, but for me, I think Fabio Vieira had a real shout of being the best football player on the pitch during this game, uh, as he did against Benfica, to be honest. The quality that he showed throughout, outstanding. You know, his passing ability is frightening. Um, if you thought Fatina was good, you know, you made a joke about how every week we were just going to uh, list Fettinia's passing stats. Um, how good is it to have another creative asset in the team uh, like Fabio Vieira? He's only started four league games this season, Barney, but get this, in those games he's provided six assists and one goals. And stats like that just suggest, you know, he's in line for a lot more than four starts in this second half of the season to come.
1: I was chuckling earlier because I actually wrote, I wrote down the phrase the passing be of Fabio Vieira and tuna is really frightening just like you said there. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it is because, you know, I feel like I always reference Kevin De Bruyne, but I feel quite regularly on um, on Sky Sports the when they're analysing post match or whatever a Man City game and Kevin De Bruyne might might have played a pass, it didn't lead to a goal, or whatever, but they'll just pe- the punts would just drool over there and they'll just replay mm. over and over again. There were several passes in this game for both of those players, Fabio Vera Vettina, which were just as good. You know, the, mm. the inch perfect eye of a needle stuff. It was um I just think that this is a scary combination of we're so scared of Porto, aren't we? But it's like such a scary combination of players, you know, add Diaz into the mix of this. I mean, I don't know how much we can say is down to the red card level, because obviously that's when things kicked off when B went went down a man. It's interesting you say that, Barney, because obviously I think the
0: red card did change things. And if you want to touch on B for a second, I think there were some positive elements to their game when they had 11 players on the pitch obviously going and goal up was great it was a good goal from a corner you know very mm. important for smaller teams when they play big teams to make set pieces count and they did with their goal so full credit to that uh, and in the 10 minutes or so after that i thought they played quite well you know they did try to push porto um they wanted to create their own opportunities um it was a really poor red card let's be honest those two yellow yeah. cards syphilis were just Ridiculous. He's let his team down there. Um, but yeah, there was a there was a few positives, and I did want to pick out one player uh who I thought did well, which was Afonso Souza, the 21-year-old attacking midfielder, former Porto Youth Academy product. Uh, he was B best player on the pitch. He was one of the few creative outlets. He wasn't afraid to get stuck in as well and try and hustle the kind of Porto defense and midfield. Um, I liked his performance in the first half. He's an interesting one as well because. He's got a Porto connection as well. I don't know if you know this, Barney. Obviously, he played for their beating, but also his uh, his father, Ricardo played and handful of games for Porto. And his grandfather, Antonio, played over 200 games for Porto in the 1780s. So maybe he was just turning it on, trying to impress the uh, Porto fans watching. But no, I thought if you're going to pick out
1: one or two positives from b I thought he was one of them. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, they did look quite good in the, the first 10 minutes. And um, I like adding fuel to these sort of uh, fires that, you see sort of doing rounds and twizzle but it's interesting it's the sixth time this season Porto have faced an opponent who's got red card (laughs) But you're just you're just trying to get us cancelled, Barney. You're trying to get us cancelled. I'm saying nothing. (laughs) But look, no, there's always seriousness. I think the performance was still fantastic, wasn't it? It was. It was. They were playing some devastating football, you know. And they have done that. They've done this all season as well. I think regard. I think you know. Even if Beast had kept with eleven men, I think Porto would have found a way, like they did against Astral last week. Because yeah, I think apart from there was a season back in the twenties. This is Porto's best record as a team and the midway point of the season. You know, sixteen wins, two draws. This being the seventeenth win now, this is it's great statistics and great numbers.
0: They're having a fantastic season. I'm sure the Porto fans won't mind, but I do want to, I do want to talk about another Porto youth academy product. I hope people listening won't be too, uh, too annoyed about us banging on about Porto's youth players because we did, you know, we mentioned that core group of four a few weeks ago, which was Diego Costa, João Mario, Bettina, Fabriera. But I think I did a disservice to Chico Consal by not making that a five because I think at this point, you know, we can really move on from calling him a promising young player and I think now he's he's really made himself uh, an important fixture in this first team albeit at the moment his role is more as an impact sub but that's by no means an unimportant role uh, and at 19 years old he's performing it admirably I thought he changed the game when he came on You know, I said at the top of this game that uh, it was a comfortable 4-1 win for Porto but I don't think that actually describes the game to the full extent of what it was because there was a period let's not forget when it was 1-1 and even with a man advantage that Porto were struggling to score and take their chances about 20 minutes in the first half where they just couldn't take their chances. And then Chico Contesau came on in the 57th minute and immediately gets the assist in the 59th minute for the goal that breaks the deadlock. It was a great run, great assist for Evan Nilsson. One of those goals where the work that went into the run Uh, And into the assist was worth almost as much as the finish itself. And I think, you know, that all came from from Chico. You sense from that point on that the shackles were off, the floodgates opened, two minutes later, it's 3-1, the game's dead and buried. Uh, And no one remembers that awkward 15, 20 minutes before where Porto struggled to score. And I think Chico conte impact was was a massive part of that.
1: Yeah, he's made two uh, big impacts now. I just wonder, I would have thought we would have seen a bit more of him this season than we have, but, you know, regardless, I I think he might get a start at some point soon when they need to rotate a bit more. Um, maybe it'll be a right-back. Yeah. <laughs> well, Barney, look, you, you mentioned a
0: right-back. And I, I do, I mean, this is my last point on Porto. And it's a slightly negative one because I do really, really want to talk about Bruno Costa because I love Bruno Costa. He was so good at Passos last season. We made no uh, apologies for how much we enjoyed Passos' season last year. And he was such a key part of that, that. In the summer, we knew he was going to be an available player. And we were speculating about what kind of team he could reinforce, where he could make an impact. And he obviously elected to stay at Porto. Now, he struggled for minutes all season. He's played in any position asked of him. And he started this game at right back. You know, Bruno Cross is an attacking midfielder. He's a creative midfielder. He's filled in at defensive midfield at times. And even that was out of position. So to fill in that right back really was a stretch of what what he should be doing. He was subbed off. At 38 minutes, you know, being subbed off in the first half is not easy. That's the second time this season that Bruno Cross has been subbed off in the first half. Obviously, this is a guy who loves the club. He did a really uh, touching Twitter post when he capped him for a cup game, I think it was. He said, you know, how much an honour it was to wear the captain's armband for the club. that The club of his heart, I think, is how he described it. Uh, And so I just felt for the guy, you know, Vitor Bruno. Obviously, Sergio Costa-Sao wasn't on touchdowns. Peter to Bruno, was doing the, the interviews. He came out afterwards and said, um, you know, look, when someone leaves in the first half, it's always it's always difficult for the coach. It already happened to him in the Alvalade being a starter and leaving in the first half. He deserves a word from us. He's been an exemplary professional uh, and it was tough to have to replace him in the first half. I just, I love Bruno Costa. I, I, I understand why he stayed at Porto if he loves the club so much, but, you know, he's given everything for this club and he's, he's just, it's not quite paying off at the moment.
1: Yeah, and you know the fact that he got taken off, I don't think is down to him as a player. I think it's more you know the management's choices to put him at, at right But I mean, come on, man, the guys, the guy should not be there. And like, um, like you just said there, but he's a, he's, he's a professional, so he, he'll do his job. I mean, Albert, the emergence of players this season? It's, it is going to be hard for him to get into that starting level in, in his preferred position. So I don't know if you know a low move might be good for him, but I sort of feel like you know their squads getting thinner and thinner and. <laughs> He could easily be kept there just to to do a fill in the gap here and there, you know. Yeah, I think if Porto
0: really wanted to give something back to Bruno Costa, I think maybe facilitating a move to a club where he's going to get regular football maybe would be one of the better things that that they could do for him. Well, let's move on then, Barney. Let's talk about another game from one of the big three. Benfica won, Mororen's one. We've obviously spoken a lot about Benfica's struggles of late. They're humbling the two defeats in a row against Porto, their changing manager. Uh, All happened very recently and it was another difficult result for Benfica and I'm sure a very tough game to watch for their fans. They only managed a 1-1 draw against Morenz who've been languishing near the bottom of the table all season. There's all sorts to get our teeth stuck into with this game, Barney. I do want to talk about the hot topic of conversation on Twitter afterwards, the buzzword that is so often thrown around after a big team struggles against a small team, anti-Jogo. And are Morenz guilty of it? Of course, they went one nil ahead, and even when Benfica got a goal back, they would have uh, sensed that there was a very valuable point up for grabs here. So, did they earn the point with hard work, determination, or did they steal that point using unsportsmanlike behaviour?
1: <laughs> oh, Albert, I, I, I know we've talked about this. But I hate the word anti-jogger. I think I, I, just think it does a real disservice to the, a team who you know worked so hard to get a result at a ridiculously tough place to, to to do so. I mean, there's a quote actually I wanted to read out from. Um, a good twitter account and um, it's actually called uh duo vicente info but after the game okay. they put they put this tree out and it said this i wonder what they do to make this more balanced maybe it's paid more to make the small teams better maybe there were less anti-matches than buses but the same ones who criticize the anti-game the same ones who effusively celebrate the 7-1 and the 10-0 mm. and i think that's a really good point because you know it's all very well like Benfica could beat marito 7-1 they would have absolutely loved that when Marito came to try and play a style of football that wasn't, you know, they were never going to beat a team of Benfica's quality with. Morens turn up, they, you know, do whatever they need to do and they get, they get a point, which is absolutely huge for them. And it's, I don't think any fan, any Morens fan would have been sitting watching this Benfica game saying, oh God, I wish they would stop, you know, fucking about and try and play some (laughs) tiki-taka or something like that. You know, (laughs) No one's thinking that. This, This is just what, this is the reality. And I think this is a, you know, obviously, this is a slightly warped league at the moment. You've got the big three who are just absolutely miles head and shoulders above the rest of the teams, and mm-hmm. yeah, it might be frustrating. You know, you're obviously going to if you drop points, it's going to it's essentially you you could be out of the race for the league. That's how much pressure's on these fans. You know, you know, and and these teams. And so, I do understand when people get so upset afterwards, but also I think you need to take a step back and you know, you know, just realize teams are going to do that, and that, that's what they need to do. I think you make a really great point about disparity in class. And
0: as you say, we've seen teams lose big to these clubs by being naive. And, you know, I think the way Moroans played was, to be fair to them, the very opposite of naivety. I do want to address that video going round of the Moroans player, Ibrahima, winking at his manager after spending a bit of time on the floor injured. Um, One of the best responses to that video I saw was someone resharing that clip from earlier in the season when Benfica played Treffen's in the cup back in October. Jafin's currently 12th in the Segunda Liga. And Valentino Lazzaro was walking off the pitch to receive treatment. And Luis Al pushes him back onto the pitch to sit down and waste time by pretending to be injured. And my point, as you texted me, Barney, very rightly, was that if you think your team has never time wasted, you are deluded. All teams do this. All teams go through it in different contexts. And let's make one thing very clear. Benfica did not drop points in this game because Moran's time wasted. They dropped points in this game because they did not score enough goals. I will refer back to the stats from goal points to illustrate my point here. Benfica had 16 shots, five on target, and 41 actions in the opposition box. From that, they only got one goal. This game, let's make no mistake, was theirs to win, and they didn't take the chance. It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, completely. And then um, just to quickly clear things up, sorry, before we do, I uh, just was saying I don't think it's just Benfica fans who complain about anti-jugger. You know, we've seen uh, of course. all season the big three. Of course. But yeah, they were they were poor in front of goal They did the thing yeah. great chances. And there's a there's a few things I want to look at, Albert, because I mentioned it last week, like about is the season a write-off for Benfica now? You know, in terms of what, what do they do, what they want to try and do. And there were four points off sporting before this game. And in most other leagues, halfway through the season, four points is nothing. But you know seeing what we've seen last season, seeing how this season has come out, I do feel like, you know, what do Verissimo and Vericross are focused on? Is it just trying to get a new identity and refresh this team? Because Morato and Paolo Bernardo came into this uh, starting eleven, which was great to see. Interestingly though, apart from Gilberto, who was shit in this game, and Severo Rich, they were Benfica's lowest ranked players on who scored. You know, Paolo Bernardo dispossessed five times, four unsuccessful touches. Morato, no tackles, no interceptions, no clearances, though, He didn't have too much to be fair, but their contribution perhaps wasn't there. But of course, that's going to take time. So another interesting thing about this Albert, those last two games, key players aren't delivering. Rafa, only two key passes in his last two games. Darwin, only two shots on target in in his last two games. What do they need to do? They they really need to work out what their plan is in the league and and what the direction they're going to take in. Do they revert to just going back and letting Rafa and Darwin play, you know, because they were under Jorge Zeus, they were fantastic, to be fair to them. Um, or did they focus on getting these young players and blooding them and, and, and let, giving them time to develop? It's, it's uh, I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are obviously
0: tough choices to be made at Benfica because... But Vika are in a mess. Everyone knows that. You know they're, they're in a mess at the moment. I think they do, of course, need to get back to promoting the youth players and giving the youth a chance. Um, I think Verissimo's only been in there a couple of weeks now. So I, still, I do think it's still too early to kind of judge uh, how he's doing. I do think the right tactic is promoting the youth players. I do think the right tactic is trying to get back uh, their identity. But those are all kind of bigger picture things. I think the small things they need to be focusing on Uh, in the league this season I think fortunately for them they don't really have a big challenger for third spot so they can focus on just consolidating that and banking that Champions League money for next season I think what they need to focus on is trying to give the fans something to shout about by getting some young players on the pitch that the fans can identify with and root for and trying to win a game against one of the other big three. That's what they need to do, just to give the fans some belief to revert from the kind of stagnation that they've been in against the big three. Look, league position this year, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, I I do believe that this season is a write-off in terms of the title. Just consolidate being in the top three, getting that Champions League place, try and get a couple of better results against the big three, try and promote some youth players. And I feel like a broken record, because I'm sure we said exactly the same thing at this point last season. But next year needs to be the one where they really kick on. And I do think that they will be in a better place to do that purely because they will at that point have a different manager from the one they had this season, who I don't think was the right one to turn around their fortunes.
1: Can I just go back to to this four-four-two that Verissa has gone with? And I don't know if this four-four-two formation, you know, I also don't think they've necessarily got the squad to do this. You know, you look at the fullback position. Gil Diaz is the backup left back, but you know, he's a left winger. Diego Gonzalez and Lazaro are both natural wing backs rather than right backs, if you see what I mean. And it goes further forward, the wide midfielders. Everton suits a, a left wing, in my opinion, rather than a left mid position. And my big concern, Albert, is Rafa. I, I think individually he's been so, so important to Benfica's success this season. Because let's not forget, they have had success. You know They have got through the Champions League group stages. They have had some huge wins. And I do think that he's now being played in a position that it's, it's just not bringing out the best. And I, I, I think that does need to be addressed for me. No, I would agree with that. And I think if
0: Ben Viga were going to kick on from what they achieved under George Jesus, the bare minimum they needed was they, their key players to continue to perform. And I think if Freffer and, and Darwin are moving backwards, then uh, that's probably probably not the best sign.
1: Can we talk about about Moran's as well? A B- bit or yeah, of a happy course. chat. Because I was thinking about what's changed for them because they've had a a really nice bit of success in recent weeks and this is obviously a, a huge result for them. And uh, I was thinking about what's changed. And and to be fair to um, Lita Vidigal, by the way, I, this is the last time I mentioned him. This <laughs> That's the name I, I thought we wouldn't hear <laughs> on this podcast again. <laughs> I, might, I might mention my end of the season uh, awards at the end of the season. <laughs> but this, this is the last time I mentioned. He he was the one who did sort of get them playing this 5 2 formation, right? And, and, and mm. it, I think it's a good formation for this team. You know, it gives players like um, Jan, Walterson and um, the Surdy as well we have gotten in this game, uh, one of the wingers, it just gives these players an opportunity to get the ball high up the pitch, I think, and they and they can affect things better rather than you know receiving the ball deep and having to to move up the pitch themselves. You know, there was a couple of times that Jan managed to play balls in behind for Raphael Martins and and Tesotto Mendy, which was a good tactic for them, I think. That worked well, and Sarpinto has got like a an interesting team on his hands because th- th- this is not a team that likes to keep possession or pass the ball around you know so far this season they've had the the second least amount of possession in the league and and the worst pass accuracy for the season so but they are getting more shots away than a lot of teams by hit, hitting them on the counter-attack so you know it looks like they're about to lose Felipe Suarez to Pauk in Greece potentially he's probably the only midfielder on their books who looks like you know he's a he's a ball-playing midfielder so They've got to focus on their strengths, which they, they did in this game for me. And, and that's for me, counterattacking and letting Rafael Martins just, you know, t- terrorise defences. Like, like, I think, he, he, you know, there's a couple of drills worth us ending in this
0: game, which were lovely. I mean, he's got Rafael Martins scoring, hasn't he? Is that three goals in his last three games or something? So, uh, yeah, credit to Ricardo Sarpinto Pinto for that. And, you know, I do also credit Sao Pinto um, for what he's done in the very, very early stages of, of his time at Morens. Four points from two games including one point against Benfica is not bad at all. Uh, obviously early days, but I think what you can see he's adding is a little bit of fight to that Moran's team, which I don't mind at all. You know, hopefully um, giving them that confidence, that bite to their game will, will will help them build confidence over the season. Obviously they had a lot of defending to do, Barney, and and Pablo Santos was the man that stood out for me at the back there, uh, playing in that back three. Uh, get this, Barney, he completed 23 defensive actions for the game. That's a record for any team in the league this season. He Obviously, understood that they were going to have a bit of a battle on their hands, and I think you know, uh, those stats just show that he was more than up for it and really exemplified the attitude of, of the Morrillans team in this game. I thought,
1: yeah, and I think, uh, just one player as well. I want to shout out to Amador, uh, left wing back, he's obviously coming for Abdu Conte, who's um, just moved to. Troyes in France so uh, and, uh, it was a great player for them and uh, and uh, I thought he was good in this game as well looked uh, g- not afraid to get forward as well which I think was one of Conte's strengths so uh, they got a good replacement in him as well. Well Morin's definitely a team that I think we
0: should be keeping a bit more of an eye on now uh, under their new manager well look, let's do our final game on the big three Barney uh, as Sporting breezed past Vizena 2-0 thanks to goals from Pedro Gonçalves and Daniel Braganza. Uh, and I think it was so important for them to bounce back from that surprise loss uh, to Santa Clara from their last league game. They did so in the cup, obviously, beating Lesser, uh, And it was important that they did it again in the league in this game. Three important points. And most importantly, a game which they controlled comfortably from the beginning and never looked in any danger of slipping up.
1: Yeah, I think it was um, an excellent um, response. And I think Amory would have certainly demanded it of his players. Um I, I wanted to talk about defense, midfield, and attack for Sporting. I'll start with attack, but um, because I well, I just think the trio of Pote, Cerebi, and Pulinho are arguably the best attacking unit in the league. Because we've talked a lot of the season about individuals like Diaz, Rafa, and Darwin, but I feel like consistently as a trio, they've they have delivered the and they've, and they've shared the goals, they share the assists, and I feel that's with them not playing at their best. I think Pote and Pulinho in particular. I think Serabin's been excellent, but. I just feel like if they start firing in all sinisters, they have potential to be far more freshly attacked than what we've seen from perhaps Benfica and Porto this season. I don't know if you think that's fair.
0: Well, I think it's slightly different. I don't think Porto have as big an attacking... you. know, It depends whether you count Luis Diaz as an attacker or a midfielder. And I think definitely, mm. you know, Benfica have relied a lot on, on Darwin. But I agree, if you're looking at that front three as a unit, it's probably been the most stable and consistent one. We've seen Taremi drop out of the Porto team. We've seen different players come into the Benfica top three. So I agree, definitely, it's been the most stable. And I think there is a great cohesion there. Although, as you say, both uh, Pedro Goncalves and Paulinho struggling for goals so far.
1: My second point was midfielders, Albert. I'm moving on to the midfield. And I wanted to discuss, you know, the four midfielders, Egate, Pellinia, Brancanson, Mateus Nunes. You know, I saw someone on Twitter say that's the best selection of midfielders in the league. And I, I think it might be hard to disagree with that. But what I wanted to talk about is that I do feel that this season, Amarin has got his choice on that combination wrong. And I think he started too hesitant. Mateus Nunes had a great start to the season, right? And I think, but, but I felt like Brancanson and Egate should have been given more opportunities because Brancanza came in this game and you know just showed us what, what he can do, offer. And I think that's been my only criticism of Aaron this season. Is, is I don't think he's got that combination right, but in this game, I think he, he did get it right.
0: Well, yeah, I, I partly agree. I think Braganza definitely offered more creativity from that midfield, which is something that they have needed, especially when they've played that partnership of Pellinio and Nunes. I think Braganza is just a, a better creative outlet than Mateus Nunes, but I think you know Braganza is obviously a very young player, and he wanted to be kind of eased into the side. Mateus Nunes started the season very strongly, and I think actually I would say that I think the timing is 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 right, and I think Braganza coming into that midfield now in the way that he has has happened at, at the right time, based on you know current, you know players like Mateus Nunes' form and and and, and when he's been needed. Maybe I would have brought him in a couple of weeks earlier and of course the fact that he chipped in with a goal as well is so important because sporting being able to add goals from midfield you obviously mentioned what a great attacking outlet they have but if they have got a couple of players struggling for goals you know being able to add goals from midfield which i don't think they do as much with Pelina and nunes yes. uh, is something that's going to be really valuable to them
1: yeah yeah I, I agree with that um my final point about the defense i was that i think nunes santos is um I think he should keep his place as a left wing back, even when Vinagre comes back. I mean, first of all, the professionalism from the guy. I think the the way he's crafted his his talents to sort of offer what he has in that from that left wing back position has been phenomenal. I think he's been. Because he does contribute defensively. I think that's the thing is he's, he's not just a, a left winger stuck in a, a left wing back and just, just there for the attacking option. He he does contribute defensively. And I think if that's the way he gets himself a starting spot in this team as well, you know, that, that's not to be frowned upon. That's just, you know, that's just a guy who's just working really, really hard. Yeah, full credit to him for adapting in the way he has. I always have so much respect
0: for a player that that reinvents themselves for the benefit of the team, because it's quite a selfless thing to do as well, to move from an attacking position where you're going to be contributing more with eye-catching goals and assists, you know, to move yourself back a bit. is is quite a selfless thing to do, and he's embraced it uh, wholeheartedly, and and the team is benefiting from it, and he's benefiting from it. I also wanted to talk about a defender Barney. I also wanted to talk about a wing-back, but it wasn't, Nuno Santos and it wasn't even Ricardo Escaio I wanted to talk about Gonzalo Estevez because he came on as a sub uh, in the game and he impressed me so much he's impressed me every single time I've watched him play he's made a few sub appearances a few cup appearances and I always forget that he's 17 years old you know I know he's young but he's not 20 he's not 21 he's 17 so you know, I think it's a player with a real bright future he was such a phenomenal attacking option when he played at right wing back and for a player so young to be so confident uh, and to play so positively for a team, you know, at the top of the Premier League table is is really fantastic to see. I think he's a really viable long term option for that right wing back spot when we see Poro and this guy move on, you know, very, very promising player.
1: Well, I think there's, there'd be a few supporting fans who would um, rather see him start ahead of his guy at the moment. Yeah. I think you know his guy hasn't been, he hasn't played particularly well in, in recent weeks. Yeah, I think he's a hell of a player. I think the thing that I think he offers that perhaps Poro and his guy doesn't is the speed and, and the attack. I think it, it it just feels a bit more threatening, a bit more purpose behind his his runs and and, and a bit more speed behind them. Just looking at Vizela because they're they're a team that are. I haven't watched an awful lot of this season. I thought, but when I have, I think they've they've looked okay. And I think we saw in in this game that you know there was passages where they can play football, they can create chances. They were going to probably lose against Sporting. I think you know, there's nothing to be sad of there, but you know it's now three points in the last five games. That, that mm. three points came was a win against Bisa. so it has put them near the the relegation zone. But then I also sort of I trust Alvaro Pacheco to sort of keep them up. I feel like he seems like a just a manager who who will be able to do it. Are you putting your faith in the right
0: man or are you just blinded by the flat cap on you? I think that's what... You know, no, it's a bit of both. Are, it's <laughs> a bit of both. But no, you're, you're quite right to point out. I think we had kind of hopes for them when they got promoted that they would achieve something because you know they came up with this reputation of uh, the, the small provincial team that had worked their way up through the league by playing good football and we really wanted them to translate that into success in the Primera Liga. It's not quite happened or at least it's happened in moments but perhaps not quite frequently enough as you say, they now do find themselves uh, down near the relegation places. And I think with clubs like Morarens and Santa Clara starting to improve and the number of teams who are going to be involved in that relegation battle was kind of drawing smaller, I do worry um, a little bit about them. The one thing I will say to their credit, and I've said it before, uh, and it, you know it may only be the case when one of the big three teams turns up, but I was really impressed with their home support. It was really heartening to kind of see... Yet again, at Brazella, a full stadium uh, and a crowd in really good voice. So full credit to the fans for that.
1: Yeah, that looks like a, a really great stadium. I'd love to go to it as well. I, I like how close the fans are to the pitch. And the only other thing, just to wrap up finally, is that I do think um, you know they've been ravaged by uh, a lot of injuries and COVID cases mm. recently as well. So that's mm. probably partly why they've, they've, they've struggled in recent weeks.
0: Well, let's move on for the big three, Barney. Uh, and I mentioned Santa Clara at the beginning of our discussion on that last game. They were a team... Whose struggles we were lamenting so often uh, at the beginning of the season, always hanging around near the bottom of the table, losing important players, losing the manager. Um, but it really seems like they have managed to turn a corner recently. Since December, they've won three league games, including that incredible win against Sporting last weekend. And this week, really should have seen them get another three points, in my opinion. They raced into a two-goal lead against Tondela and continue to create chance after chance looking for a third but they somehow managed to let Tondela get back into the game after dominating for so long, conceded two late goals and only walked away with a point as the game ended 2-2 and I think that was really the take home message for me about this game Barney Uh, a massive missed opportunity for Santa Clara, they missed so many chances for the third goal and in the end it came back to bite them, a positive performance no doubt but a definite, a definite case of two valuable points dropped, in my opinion.
1: Oh, completely. I mean, you know, they were absolutely um, dominant in this game. The first half was just all oh, them. Ah, oh, they should have scored more, basically, shouldn't they? And I think you know their goals were good. I think the striker Rui Costa is someone I wrote off, you know, a few weeks ago. I, I've, but he's he's last few games he, he has impressed me. I think he was, you know, the only thing missing was was a goal or two more in this game for him. He was. Uh, a, a really big threat. Kreisel and, and Ricardini as well is fitting in mm. for um, the part of John Patrick. You know, they, they absolutely hammered Tondea. I mean, yeah, Chagheri and goal for Tondea, uh, one of my favourite keepers in this league. It was a, a, immense. That's one of the reasons that the, why they, it stayed at 2-0 for them. Yeah, I, I, he's averaging the most amount of saves per game in the league at the moment. The guy's is he, a really great, great keeper. He, he made so many important saves because Santa Clara was just peppering
0: his goal. In the second mm. half, it was unreal. I remember one uh, specifically, a chance from Morita. I think Morita had a volley, uh, oh, and no. that save that he made from that instinctive save, you know, really kept his team in the game um, and kept the scoreline down. But as I've said, I think Glasgow obviously had more than enough chances to win the game. And when you look at the table, Barney, this is you know this is the thing. Those two points would have put them up to tenth place, right? What a massive turnaround! that would have been from where they were just a few weeks ago. You know, I suppose we shouldn't let the fact that they only got a point take away from the fact that the turnaround at Santa Clara has been excellent. As I said, they had that awful period around November where, you know, they lost to BSAD, they lost to Porto, they lost to Braga 6-0 in the Cup. Uh, But since their last seven games, they've won three, they've drawn two uh, and only lost two games. So they've moved from being last placed in the league on six points uh, from 11 games, now up to 13th place on the table with 17 points. So, you know, as I mentioned, only two points off being in the top 10 and full credit to them because the turnaround has been absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, and it's a turnaround with a, a squad who've been through, to say, cliche hell and back, you know, they, like, they, mm. they've been at their lowest point, they've had no confidence and and, and the same players have, have managed to turn it around. And the other thing as well, Albert. you know, all that though there has been a departure and there may be more we know Santa Clara are always happy to be active in transfer markets you know um, they've signed another striker um, a young Japanese player called Tagawa um, who I'm sort of trusting will will be a decent signing we're seeing the success that Marisa had coming in at the same point this time last season so yeah I think there are really exciting things happening and, and full credit to those players I mean just so quickly to sort of go back to the Tondea um, Equaliser by for Berselli's mm. second goal. I just felt, but you know, it was just a shit looping cross, wasn't it? I just, know, I know, yeah. And how none of the Santa Clara defenders dealt with that. I mean, I was just like, come on! But you know, fair play to Berselli, You know, t- two goals in what was it uh, in fifteen minutes to to get Tundea a, a really big point is is great stuff. Take that and run, absolutely. Well, it turned out I think obviously we'll count ourselves
0: pretty lucky to get a point from the game. But I do wonder whether they they are a team that need to be worrying at this point in the season. Maybe they need to be looking over their shoulder a little bit. They're only a point of 16th place, and there's a couple of teams behind them, in and around them, who are showing signs of improvement. I'm thinking about Moran's Marin, perhaps, Santa Clara perhaps, You know, teams that maybe a few weeks ago we thought would be part of that relegation battle and now showing that maybe they turned something around. So Tondela got some tough games coming up, Barney. They're at home against Mozilla next, but after that they've got Portman and Benfica, Estoril, and then Braga, all in a row. So a tough run of games coming up. They're in a difficult p- point in the table. They have looked far from
1: convincing. So I do wonder where they're going to keep putting points on the board at this point in the season. And the other element to add to that Albert, is, you know, this is a this is a young team. You know, they've got the the young Loney's in Eduardo, Eduardo Kresma and. Um, Tiago Dantas, of course, but they have young players of their own. Tiago Almeida, right back. Borselli, the goal scorer, is only 22. You know, there's plenty of players around this team with, with little experience. And and they do have one or two sort of experienced players in this league, like Jao Pedro, like um, Rafael Barbosa, um, and like Salvador Agra. But apart from that, I do feel like there's um, an interesting combination of, of, of youth and of other players that would have me worried, like you say, they need to be looking over their shoulders. Well, let's do our last game of the week then,
0: Barney. I know a lot of people wanted us to talk about Marieta. We wanted to talk about their impressive 2-1 win over ends last week, but we ran out of time. But we've got another opportunity this week to heap praise on them as they got a very impressive 1-0 win over Braga. We recommended this game as one of our game of the week recommendations. And I'm going to be honest with people, it was far from a classic. The game itself was not that good. But the result I thought was quite remarkable as Claudio Wink fired an 88th minute winner after Braga had been in more or less control of the whole game. To start things off, I want to give a lot of credit to that man we've talked about so much, Vasco Ciabra. We were so excited about him taking over the club. We predicted good things for Maritimo under him. Although I'm not sure even we predicted that they would happen quite as quickly as they are. Since his arrival, Maritimo have five wins, one draw, and one loss. In seven games, fantastic figures that have completely turned around their season. Of course, the elephant in the room uh, was that 7-1 loss that they received in the Estadio de Luz. We were very critical of Vasco Siabra's choices in that game. I think he set up the team in a very naive way, thinking that they could still try and play their football against Benfica uh, and they got battered. And what I loved about this game is that I saw it as a direct response to that result. This was another big game against another big club higher up in the table than them with better players, better resources. They did a lot of travelling before the game. And Siabra set up the team, I thought, in a very pragmatic way. It wasn't pretty, but it was a smart game plan that earned his team an extremely valuable three points in a game that they were far from guaranteed to get anything from.
1: Yeah, and I think what he's, not just in this game, but what has what done with their defence... Um, since he's come in, it's, it's been really fantastic. I mean, if we were to ignore the, the 7-1 from Benfica, they've since he's been in charge, they've conceded three goals in their last six games or, or half a goal a game. In their last six games before he was in charge, they conceded nine goals in six games. So that was three times as many. So, you know, that's a, that's a remarkable um, improvement in such a short amount of time. And, you know, the, the, the thing with their defence, Albert, is that they do have some quality players and he's really got them playing extremely well i mean you look at the fullbacks cloudy wink in particular this guy's got three goals and one assist from the right back position this season mm. he, he's just uh I, I've, I've always loved him he's he's played every single minute of every game this season apart from one where where he, one game where he's subbed off in the 75th minute he's he's a, a really brilliant player for marie's as is zinedine it accents um experienced center back. They're quite lucky that um, Mozambique didn't make it to the African Cup of Nations because he would have been a, a big loss for them. And then Mateus Costa, he's he's fast becoming my favorite defender in this league. You know, they signed him wow. from Vizella in the summer. I just the reason I love him is his pace is immense. It's and it's you know it's so important for helping to, to recover. There was one or two times where Baraga played the, the ball over the top and he was able to to get back and recover. So Siabra's really looked at his team. He's worked out, as you mentioned, a better way of organising his his, his defence in this game and and, and came away with a, a great 1-0 win. And I think the result showed Siabra's
0: adaptability as well because we've seen them play great football, right? We saw them play mm. well against uh, Portemans. We saw them play good football against Mazzella. uh, We saw them play well against Santa Clara. So we've seen that they can do the pretty side of the game and now also... He's shown that he's capable of setting his team up to do the ugly side of the game uh, as well. And I think in a league where often, you know, so little can separate those mid-table teams from one of those coveted European spots, the three points that they ground out in this game could be so important. I'm interested in your opinion, Barney, about how far you think Mourinho can go this season because how high realistically do you think they should be aiming? There are two points off sixth place sixth place being the second uh, Europa Conference League spot uh, but there's some very good teams in their way you know Vittoria, Portimonense, Esther, Gilles Bessente, all above them in the table my personal feeling is that if they continue to do well they could definitely unseat one or two of those clubs but that move up three places now that would be a very tough ask because you'd be relying on uh, a few teams to really drop off in form.
1: But I think the thing they've got, Albert, is they've got the momentum, right? And you know, we mm. saw Estoril have a great start. Their their forms faltered. The other teams, Lenz, vitoria Vitória, they've both also had a very inconsistent runs of form. You know, they've 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 played well. They've also played quite bad. I think with this, seabras um, Marítimo, what we've seen is players really, really growing in confidence and maintaining, apart from the Benfica seven-one, <laughs> like. Uh, uh, Maintaining a real high level. I mean, Gaetano in midfield, you know, before Siabra came in, he was basically used as a sub, you know, barely getting on. He's now like, you know, three goals in his last five games. He's sort of running the show. You know, they've replaced the midfield of players like Palagio, who I'm a fan of, and Ivan Rossi as well. They've replaced these defensive-minded midfielders and brought in players like Gaetano, like Beltrame. And they're just playing with so much um, confidence. And it's really... It's just working so well for him. I think the other thing we should mention is the return of Joel to go. How important mm. that's going to be as well. You know, you know, four goals and ten games now. He's basically scoring every 155 minutes. He's going to be huge for them. And and you know, it's just going to help with this uh with this team p- progressing. A lot of players looking
0: absolutely fantastic compared to uh how they were at the beginning of the season when there was a big cloud hanging over Maritimo. Uh, it seems well I want to talk about Braga Barney now because we talked about Sporting and Benfica dropping points in the title race. But what about Braga dropping points and a potential push for third place? Because Benfica dropped points again this weekend and a win could have put Braga six points behind them. Not far off at all. But as we've seen so much this season, Braga can be a bit Jekyll and Hyde. You, know, you never know what club is going to turn up. There's a brilliant attacking team in there But there's also a frustrated and disjointed team. They've got a five-point cushion on fourth place, uh, which I think is very important. But again, as we saw last season, they've been far too inconsistent to really mount a realistic third-place push, even when Benfica have shown a tendency to slip up.
1: I think what we've seen from Braga this season is, you know, Carlos Carvalho blood a lot of young players bring bring a lot of young players through and that's through a mixture of some of them obviously having the quality to deserve a spot on a team but also you know he's had a lot of injuries um there's a lot of been players in in and out of this 11 and and it really hasn't helped them sort of settle and build any sort of momentum like like you said you know they've had their was it six 0 the other night and then like these these surprise losses they really are like you don't know what team you're going to get the only thing they've got I think we saw the return of Galano in this game, which is great. I think Andre Castro, um, the experienced midfielder, he's he came off the bench as well. So that, you know they they need a bit of stability. I feel and and, and I feel we be we, we really keep asking the same questions of Braga, don't we? But I think that that is one of the the great questions of this league. Is it like what's a good result for Braga? What's a good season for Braga? The one thing that we can definitively say is that you know Vatina has been a revelation in recent recent weeks, but I do think that the combination of players and attack, they need to get that right and, and settle on it because that's been a thing that keeps being tweaked. And I think with Ricardo Horta, with Yuri Medeiros, with Vitina, you know, that that's the combination for me that they need to, to go to go forward with and, uh, and, and hopefully get some uh, more success and results.
0: Every time you think something's clicked for Braga, they just uh, show you that there's still a lot of work to do, it feels like. I think, to be fair to them, they did create chances in this game and as i mentioned they did control the game in terms of possession but i think when you when you see the chances that they did create they were only ever really half chances you know they had 16 shots in this game but their xg was only one so it just wasn't quite good enough and, and i do feel like we have been saying that quite a few times about braga this season and and last season
1: one thing to think about albert and i think which is sort of important perspective for me recently is um, the way that clubs in this league have managed COVID within their team you know we've seen you know huge outbreaks at some of the smaller clubs like Tondea and like and there's lots of other teams who have had real issues with their players um, testing positive you know and I feel like further, the further up the table you go I do feel like some of the clubs have dealt with it better. And, you know, Porto stick out for me because I, there's, you know, there's been very, very few cases of COVID. They've also had very few injuries of, of note in my head uh, this season. Uh, Pepe is only the, the only big one for me, really. Uh, although, obviously, for right back situation. But the, the point I was trying to make here, is, in a messy way, is that I do think it is interesting to look at how clubs have dealt with COVID and and then the, you know the, how the success they've had on the, on the pitch. And I think with Braga is they have had. Huge amount of player rotation and injuries, just, yeah, it's, it's, which, made, like I was saying earlier, has made it really hard for them to settle on at eleven. But it's very easy to focus on the big three, and I do think it's it's easy for us to forget that the, these smaller clubs, have you know, that because they're not making as much noise, but the, you know, we, we don't see how how ravaged they've been by 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 injuries and COVID. Very very true. Well, that brings us to the end of our Premier League
0: roundup for this week, and it just leaves us with time as always, to leave you with a couple of Game of the Week recommendations that we think you should be checking out this weekend. Now, of course, Barney, one game absolutely stands out above all others, so I don't think there's even any discussion that needs to be had. Saturday night, 8.30pm, Sporting CP versus Braga, and that one will be live on BT Sport for our UK-based listeners. Um, I'm sure all of our listeners will be tuning into that game. That's going to look like a, a fantastic picture, given everything we've just said about Braga. It's going to be really important for them to try and uh, bounce back and get a result. It's going to be really fascinating to see how they play against Sporting.
1: And I always feel like the Carver house sort of gets up for these games, doesn't he? He's always hmm. feel, as the underdog. Um, so that'll be excellent. And then, yeah, Sunday for me, Albert, Joe uh, and Porto ends. It's, it's a LBF special, isn't it? It's
0: the ball football derby, as they seem to be coming thick and fast recently, Barney. But yeah. Definitely two of the standout teams that, that we've enjoyed watching from a bit further down the table this season. Uh, if you're looking for something a bit more of a hipster choice, there you go. Gil Vicente versus Menens at 6pm uh, on Sunday. Well, look, that brings us to the end of the show. We just want to say thank you to everybody once again uh, for listening. If you want to leave the show a little review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts by writing a little review and leaving a star rating. Or if you're listening on Spotify, if you go to the top of our podcast page you'll be able to give us uh, a rating out of five stars all of which uh, we greatly appreciate and help the podcast to grow little by little if you want to get in contact with the show you can find us on Twitter at Long Ball Football Uh, we're always happy to get involved in any conversations Uh, we love receiving your messages and comments so do head over there and get involved and give us a follow if you don't already but it just leaves me to say uh, once again thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week
1: yeah see you next week